Well, we are in a series called The King is Coming. Uh, last week, we, we kind of introduced this series, and we talked about two families that had an impact in this story. The two families included Zechariah, we had Elizabeth, his wife, we had Joseph, and we had his wife, Mary. And both received this great news that they were both going to be pregnant. We had one side with Elizabeth, who was very old, and it said she was past the age that she could give birth or could conceive. And then we had the other side, which was a teenage girl that had not yet been married, but had planned on being married, and having kids was not on the schedule. And both of these received this great news, which started the preparation of the coming of a Savior. Basically, everybody stopped for just a moment and kept their eyes on God. See, God chose these two individuals because they were faithful, and God knew that there was nothing that could have been done that they were going to keep their eyes off of God in this moment. And we notice that when God enters into the earth, that everybody just kind of stops for a moment, and all of the eyes go on Him. Because they know that something is not natural that's going on. That something not from this world is, is going and coming onto this earth. So this week, we're, we're going to zoom back out a little bit. Last week we were on this microscope of, of these two families, these four individuals. But this part of the story kind of goes a little more global to try to see what's going on around these two. See, there was joy happening in, in the small part of this story, but globally, there seems to be going a lot different things going on. So shortly after, the world starts to react in kind of this positive way towards the coming of the Messiah. It says this in Luke 2, 8 through 14, and there was shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in a town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. See, the word starts to get out in this moment that we learn there's something new that a baby is going to be born. And on this earth, there will be peace. If you know anything about the history of the Middle East, peace is something that they did not know for a very long time. That there was war after war. That there was killing of kings after killing of kings. That there were power struggles. That it was chaos. That there was slavery and there was death. And people just try, and there's a group of people just trying their best to follow God through all of this chaos. So that leads us to our main point today. 
that the earth rebels in chaos because there's no power in peace. See, Satan will do whatever he can to make sure that there is no peace, but just give you the illusion that there is peace coming. See, here's the thing about God and evil. You can say that God and evil are the complete opposites. That they they cannot, and they have the exact opposite goals in life. See, Satan's goal is to stop as many people from entering into God's plan, to entering into God's will. And Satan prowls on the weak, the downhearted. He uses the earth's power to convince people that evil things are okay, that they're just the natural things of doing. Basically, Satan's desires is for everyone to choose themselves over God in the situation. Satan does not want there to be a Messiah, and he does not want people to start looking for the Messiah. So in the story, we have this character that comes in, and it's a king. His name's King Herod. This king has been uh, consumed with evil the older he gets. When I did some history on him, it seemed that whenever he started to come into power, when he was just a governor, he was not a king, it seemed that he kind of had the right motives as he was continuing. But the older he got, he started to develop this illness And the sicker he got, the more corrupt he became. That he wanted to be a king that controlled everything. And that he would give up absolutely anything in power if he received something in, in return. So what happened is that he did not want this Messiah to happen. So after, it says this in Matthew 2, 1 through, this, 1 through 6, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then King Herod heard this. He was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. This is absolutely every king's nightmare. You are in a position of power. You can make every decision that you want. And now you are being told by everybody around you that there is a king coming and you have no chance. That the one that people have been waiting for for generations, for thousands of years since promised from David, even before that, that a king, a Messiah, will be born. And he is told that it is going to be in his lifetime. So what he did, it says in Matthew 2, 7 through 8, is when King Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me, and I too may go and worship him. So here's what we know about King Herod. 
that he was a great at protecting the Jewish tradition when it benefited him. But his downfall was that he loved to be loved. And he loved to be wealthy. So what he did is he allowed people that weren't Jewish to come into power and tax everyone. And the people, the Jewish people came from being a wealthy group of people, a people that people trust and maybe even feared because they had God on their side. And they almost dwindled down almost to slaves because of the taxation and the allowing of Roman people to come in, all because Romans had great gifts to give to King Herod. Herod loved to build Herod's kingdom. The Jewish leader slowly did not trust him in this moment. So when he says he's going to go worship somebody, no one bought that. Not even the Magi bought that. So when the Magi found Mary and Joseph, they warned him, they warned them about what King Herod was trying to do. As we continue on, it says, when the Magi had gone, the the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, he said, and take the, the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. See, when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave the order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his victory, or, or in the, in, sorry, in the vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. See, Herod went completely mad in this moment. He made a decision because he was afraid someone was going to take his position. So his decision to kill two-year-olds two and under affected even his family, where he killed two of his sons. God entered this world to bring peace, life, and healing to the world. And the world responded to, with death and power. Week two of the Advent calendar in which we are in is the week of peace. This week, if you're following the calendar, we're supposed to be reminded and eternalized to look forward to the peace that God is going to bring through Jesus. That long wait of shalom we've talked about before. God's peace. The, the, the greeting that Jewish people would give each other in hopes that they would receive the peace of God's peace and not the peace of the people of Israel, that the peace is coming. And how does the earth respond? By the world trying to do its best to grasp and get hold of any power that it could before the coming. So Satan ripped the babies out of the hands of the, mother, of the mothers as soldiers destroyed these little lives. I can still remember the very first time I read this story. The very first time I studied this story. And I can remember my, my, my professor in the class reading the story and giving demonstrations on how they would kill these kids. 
still remember it to this day. And then at the end, he's saying, Satan just doesn't care. He just simply doesn't. Anything to get his way. The world completely rebels in this moment. Maybe because when God comes, people realize they don't need the world anymore, and, but it is fulfilled by the goodness of God. And when this happens, the world tries its best to just grip hold of everything that it can. But what happens when you don't need the world anymore? You don't reply to the people that govern over it anymore. And that terrifies leaders. That terrifies the world when it doesn't need to be relied on anymore. See, the world will do its best to grab your attention away from God. From this point of Jesus to this day, it hasn't stopped. And if you look at history, it's probably gotten worse since the birth of Jesus all the way to this day, where the world is doing its best just to grab the attention of you away from God. Before Jesus, it was all about the Jews, mostly. To get the Jews to the promised land and preserve the people because the coming of Messiah is going to come. But when God entered this world, he included more than just the Jews. He invited the rest of the world to come about. And the world was like, whoa, 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 you're, you're now talking more than just this large group of people. You're talking about the rest of the world, and the world was going to do whatever it could to do the exact opposite in this moment. See, the hardest part is when we see Satan push us to the exact opposite in our churches. So we, we come to worship here at Elevate, we come to church just to worship. That is the only goal that we have. And if you know anything, and if you've been coming here a long time, you know that Sundays are for worship only. We don't do any business on Sunday mornings. We don't, we don't have any, deal with any problems on Sunday morning. If there is a problem, we deal with it Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday until it, it gets accomplished. And if you want to talk with me about a problem, you can just Monday through Thursday. We're not going to do it on Sunday because we are trying to remove ourselves from Sunday morning and just uplift God as best as we can. But Satan hates that. Satan will do anything that he can to make sure that Sundays are not about Jesus, but Sundays are about you. That Sundays are about me. That when we gather together throughout the week, he wants to make sure that it's not about just gathering together in Christian fellowship, but he wants it to be about gossip. He wants it to talk about just the negative things about your brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants you to talk negatively about Sunday morning, about the gathering of people. He wants to make sure that you can just do things on your own. He doesn't want anything to be about Jesus. So what we deal with in ministries and what people, what churches have done over the years to ministers and ministries is that before ministers get on stage, they just berate the minister about all the things that they do wrong. That we have women's ministries that just spend their entire time trying to fix the church and gossip. We have youth ministries that are completely closed off from the rest of the world and do not invite the most vulnerable group of people to accept the words of Jesus. We have elderships that care more about power than they do making sure everything in the church is going towards Jesus to the best of their ability. 
Satan wants everything to be about you. And you know how easy that is? And the older you get, you realize it's very, very easy to make things all about you. And unfortunately, we have a hard time, we have a very hard time learning from our mistakes. If you look at any story in the Bible, when things go wrong, you realize that the reason it went wrong is because they chose themselves over God. You have Adam and Eve who were placed in this garden of Eden, and they had every single food and every single tree around, and God says, there is one that you cannot eat from, just one. They have every single tree known to man, but there is one in the center that says, God, God said, you cannot eat from, and they chose to eat it. Why? Because they wanted to be more like God. And then shortly after that, when they are banished from the garden, you have Adam and Eve's kids where one of the kids murders the other one because he thought he made them look bad in front of God. And then you have the whole world just go downhill. And God can only find one person, it says, that is worthy of, being, that is worthy of him worshiping God. There's only one righteous person in this world, so God starts over with Noah. Basically because the rest of the world chose themselves over relying on God. And you can look at every single leader and every single one of their downfalls is because they chose themselves over God. You have the wandering in desert for 40 years because they chose themselves over God. You have them making the golden calf because they refused to wait just a little bit longer for Moses to come down the mountaintop. You have David choosing Bathsheba and murder over choosing God and what he wanted him to do. And you even have these people called the judges, where their main goal is just to bring God's chosen people back to following God. I could go on and on and on. Because at the end of the day, what Satan does is he dangles power in front of us, and for some reason we keep grabbing a hold of it. In this story, King Herod took it and never came back. I think the reason we do that is because we think if something brings us peace, it should be easy. It shouldn't bring struggles in our life. If it's good, then it should come naturally to us, correct? And that's why so many Christians walk away from the Christian church. They walk away from their faith when the first sign of struggle happens. Because they think and they're told from the world perspective and from Satan that things should be easy. The good things in life should come naturally. Nothing hard is, is good. And even though we can see in Scripture story after story after story of bad things happening or strugglings happening, and we see that there is good at the end of it, we still see and we still choose to believe a lie that was started at the very beginning. But here's how we fight against it. We must center our life around Jesus every single day day. See, Matthew, six, in Matthew, Jesus said this, then said Jesus upon his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for the sake, for my sake, shall find it. For what is a man's profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We need to wake up every single day and recenter our lives around Jesus and not of this world. We need to lean on him, trust in his words, and realize that the true bringing of, of peace comes from Jesus and not of the easy and quick things of this world. You see, when I was in college, I had this great mentor and professor, and for some reason, he poured a lot of time into me. I think it's because my wife Kaylee did really well in his classes, and he knew that we were engaged, and he wanted to make sure I was a godly, good husband, so he just poured a lot of time into me. But he loved to talk to me about the otherness of God, and how there was this moment where the otherness of God came in contact with the finite of this world where the otherness of, the, of something that is not bound by time entered into a, a, a world that is bound by time. And whenever that happened, the world had to react. Because two different beings that aren't, weren't supposed to be next to each other collided in a moment when a baby was born. And there was a moment in heaven where the other and the finite, where the heaven and the earth, both lifted up a baby's name. Never in history did this happen. But for a moment in the world, the world stopped because someone uttered the name of the Messiah. The name that is above all names. The name that has power. The name that stands in power above all names. The name that could bring freedom and peace. That could end the sufferings of this world. And the angels cried, holy, holy is the name. The earth rebelled in that moment. Because it was under new management. There was something that had power that the world had never seen before. And that's why the earth rebels when Jesus enters into the picture. Because the earth wants power. But we know that the one who has all the power, the one who had all the power but instead became powerless so that he could bring peace to all the nations. So, so that he could fix the separation between God and man and God and his creation. The Savior, Jesus Christ. The earth rebelling is not anything that we don't know about. That whenever the church and, and the gospel is continuing to move forward in this life, we will see more and more struggle in this world. And as Christ comes closer and closer, we see in Scripture 
that the world will slowly start to react in a negative way. That there will start to be a one world power because the world is trying to take complete control of the power of the world in exact rebellion about the one who has all the power. We see in Scripture that whenever God does enter onto the world, that the world reacts with lightning and big storms or complete blackouts. And it's because the world has to respond in something that is so holy. So in this season of Christmas, in the week two of Advent, which is peace, I need to remember every single day when we wake up that the only one that can give us true peace is the Messiah. The one that has the name above all names. And not of the things of this world. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for another opportunity that we get to open up your book and we get to study your words and learn from what you have. God, thank you so much for this story. Even though it is chaos and it it hurts to read of the things of King Herod, we see of what the world really wants in this life. We see that you want to have all the power, and there will be a time when the world starts to rebel. God, I pray that we remember that time where the otherness of your heaven and this world collided. And everybody, including the heavens and on earth, stopped for a moment and just cried, Holy, holy, holy. God, your name is above all names. And I pray that we worship in this moment. That we don't cry anybody else's name. We don't cry any any other thing or any other government ruler or anything. But we just throw it all away and we lift your name up because it is worthy to be praised. God, you are so good. And I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.